Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce Weinstein, we have written 36 cookbooks, including the very latest, the Instant Air Fryer Bible. We are all into air frying. Check out our YouTube channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. See, aren't we clever? We named it all the same thing. Cooking with <laughs> Bruce and Mark, in which we've got a ton of air fryer recipes up, some from this book and some original to the YouTube site. You can check all of that out out there. But in this episode of our podcast, we're not talking about that. We're talking about mushrooms. Oh, wait, can you believe it? Which means Bruce's sister has automatically turned us off. <laughs> uh, we're <laughs> we're going to have a one-minute cooking tip. Bruce has an interview with Susan Graves, the author of Italy on a Plate, and we're going to talk about what's making us happy in food this week, as we always do. So let's get started. I have heard mushrooms referred to as a superfood. I think we've all heard that. I think it's a common thing that runs around. And I don't quite know. I have to tell you, going into this, and uh, we haven't rehearsed this together, but I'm going to tell you that I don't quite know what a superfood oh, means. I don't either. I mean, now don't add us, but if you do think you know what a superfood is, uh, you can share it with us on our Facebook group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. I know blueberries are superfoods. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I mean, they're highly nutritious I and they're good for you. I think that's what it means. But... It's highly nutritious and low calorie count. But they're not going to somehow make you live to 90. No, I, ice cream is not a superfood. No. I know that. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, yes, it is. Does okay. it wear a cape? I think superfoods need to wear capes oh, and have excellent. an insignia. No, I mean, I, there's without a doubt, there are some things that are better to eat. Blueberries, let's say whole grains are better to mm -hmm. eat. There are a host of things that are leafy greens, mm -hmm. better than eat, but I just don't know what this term superfood means. And it strikes me as U.S.-based faddishness, well, but that I'll go with it. Well, I think it's also people are always looking for the magic food, right? Oh. The magic thing that's oh. going to make them younger, make them thinner, make them healthier. Well, I mean, you know, listen, at my ripe old age of 62, I will tell you that I've been seeing a lot of ads for eye creams, and I am <laughs> looking at them like, hmm, which eye cream should I try? So, Well, uh, whichever you, one you know, you're using is really working well, Oh, actually. thank you. So that, you that would be nothing. So, <laughs> thank you. That's very nice. But I still am looking at eye creams. Super creams. Do they wear a cape, too? Yeah. So, uh, you're right. We're, we are kind of timed and proned and, I don't know what, conditioned to look for these things. But it is true that mushrooms are rather nutritious. They uh, are. That they are rather delicious, your sister notwithstanding. And flexible. And in fact, they are so flexible and so delicious mm. that mm. the New York Times last year called them the ingredient of the year. Oh, there's, see, there's another thing I'm really going to get irritated with, the ingredient of the year. <laughs> it got me to click on it. Uh, I want, I want um, what, ice cream to be the ingredient. <laughs> it's not really an ingredient, is it? Ingredient Went back of the to that ice cream and mm -hmm. superfood mm -hmm. in a cape. Mm -hmm. It is. It's completely a superfood, particularly if you serve your ice cream over wheat berries. What if you serve sautéed mushrooms over your ice cream? Well, then it would be disgusting, but um, okay. <laughs> well, I should tell you before we get to more, more way off track. Get to mushrooms. So I should tell you that once Bruce and I, well, we wrote several ice cream books. We have written several ice cream books over the course of our career. And early on in one of the first books, there was a question of adding garlic ice cream to the book. And it was so vile. It tasted like 
like frozen Alfredo sauce. Oh, it was disgusting. Which was just yeah, too no, much no. to even fathom. Mm-hmm. It. Not happening. I, I know that a lot of chefs are doing roasted garlic ice cream now, but I still I, I shy away from it given my early experience with it. Okay, anyway, so there's this 15 minutes of fame that has been given to mushrooms, so let's talk about it. If I had my way, that 15 minutes will last forever because I do love mushrooms, they even though great. my sister hates them and she's going to be talked about a lot during this podcast. <laughs> but they are, here's the thing about mushrooms. They are not just in the fresh produce aisle anymore. No, they You aren't. can find mushroom tea, hot chocolate with ground mushrooms. Yep. I've seen mushroom-infused sparkling water. Ew. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I've oh. seen mushroom protein bars, mushroom Ugh. jerky, and chips, and all sorts yes, of seasonings. M- mushroom chips, absolutely. Yeah. And seasonings made with ground-dried mushrooms. And that's a brilliant thing because we've talked on this podcast before about using ground-dried mushrooms with a little soy sauce as an umami ingredient to boost the flavor of steaks and roasts. I mean, edible mushrooms, edible by human mushrooms, are incredibly nutrient-dense, and they are a wild product to add tons of minerals and vitamins to your diet. And they are a kind of wildly good food, the ones that we can eat. I, I should say that Bruce and I live in super rural New England, and we have some land in rural New England and it's mostly forested and people are always saying oh are you going out finding morels are you going out finding mushrooms the answer is no we don't i'm not a mycologist russian roulette i'm not playing too afraid of the false mushrooms that look like the ruins we do have a really nice relationship with a friend in town and she permits us to come and take hen of the wood mushrooms from a stump in her yard sometimes during the course of the year late right late in the summer it usually is right mm-hmm. Some september kind of time and that's a really really fine and lovely gift she gives we trade her jam for hen of the woods that grow on the stump in her yard but okay that i know exists but uh, i don't just go foraging but the, you know Mushrooms are often offered as a meat alternative, and Bruce just made a beautiful noodled stir-fry the other night that was full of mushrooms Mm, and had no meat. Yeah, I used king oyster mushrooms, and their chewy texture is such a great alternative to meat. And You You sliced them long, kind of like long strips. King oyster mushrooms are very tall. I sliced them the long way into flat strips, and then I sliced those flat strips into thin strips so that mimic the noodles. So when I tossed them with the noodles, you almost couldn't tell what was a noodle and what was a mushroom. And, you know, of course, there are a lot of restaurants that have uh, portobello's as as burger substitutes. Now, I have to tell you, I'm going to confess right now that I actually don't like the portobello burger substitute. I do like fake burgers, like bean burgers with mushrooms in the Mm -hmm. mix, because I think it pulls down the sweetness of the beans in bean burgers. I love bean burgers. And a lot of the plant-based meat substitute startups now are putting mushrooms in them. So they're adding some more umami. So not Impossible Burgers and not Beyond Meat, but other brands are starting to put ground mushrooms into their plant-based meat substitutes, which really give it so much umami flavor because... Mushrooms really do make a good meat substitute. They do. They are a plant, a good plant-based substitute for meats. We ate at a vegan restaurant in Asheville, North Carolina, when we spent a week down there last year just on a vacation in Asheville. And the oh, there was a lot of mushroom. There was a lot of mushrooms there. going on. They were, and mushrooms, I will say, that back to those hen-of-the-wood mushrooms, they make the best faux-fried chicken ever. 
that if you lightly batter them and then you fry them, you pan fry them in a few inches of oil, they're amazing. It, you don't even know that you're not eating fried chicken. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. And uh, now, as you probably know, there are tons of companies that sell well, essentially fake logs or boxes where you can grow mushrooms in your own home, grow them edible mushrooms. I will confess that Bruce and I have never tried this. Mm -mm. So we've never bought one of the boxes and grown mushrooms. I'm kind of intrigued to do it because I'm a gardener and I love growing things. I will tell you that also I hate mushrooms in my garden. I fight <laughs> them. Uh, we got a load of mulch a few years ago and it clearly had some of the what are they, spores. What are, yeah, some yeah. of the spores or maybe it had mycelium in it. It's something that I allowed mushrooms to grow in the mulch and now for the last oh gosh i don't know five six years i have just fought in these big clusters of brain looking <laughs> mushrooms that no we're not eating them popping up in my gardens and they make me very irritable one of the reasons i don't want to have mushrooms growing in the house is i don't want to encourage fungal growth in the house oh. i mean mushrooms are a fungus and you're asking this fungus to grow in your house and I just don't like the idea but, of it, but they... Couldn't we do it sometime just to say, okay, so I, I understand not wanting mushroom spores and not wanting fungal growth in your house and all that kind of stuff. But isn't there a way to do this in the summer where you put that box out in the garage or someplace like that? I mean, wouldn't that be a thing? I don't think critters are necessarily going to want that box. We have, we again, we live so rurally and so deep in the woods. We have a lot of, uh, as we call them, furry well, mm. furry well wishers. And well, I'm going to um... look into that. That we can maybe we can do that if you ever grown mushrooms at home on one of those logs those boxes in your garage let us know go to our facebook group cooking with bruce and mark um because we'd like to try that and mushrooms are such a great future um of food for for humanity because they need minimal water minimal energy they are one of the most sustainably produced foods in the u.s so if you want to add more mushrooms to your diet here's a couple ideas one when you make a soup a stew or a braise something that's wet and liquidy think about adding a few dried mushrooms to it and you can do this in one of two ways you can buy the dried mushrooms well yeah that's the way you always have to do it you start <laughs> by buying the dried mushroom but i mean you can either rehydrate them in some water and add them to the soup but they will rehydrate in the soup it's just how much of the liquid of the soup or the stew you want them to eat up or you can take the fully dried ones and you can grind them coarsely and add them for flavor and then they won't soak up quite as much liquid in the pot if you're going to grind up dried mushrooms or put them dried right in the soup make sure that you get ones that are clean and that mm, right, you know right. because if you look at the package it might say to strain the liquid after you rehydrate the right. meaning there could be a lot of sand and dirt means they're sandy so, so you want to get right. ones that aren't because you don't want to have sand and dirt added to your food now you can also slice up fresh mushrooms saute them in a little butter or olive oil add those sauteed mushrooms to any mac and cheese you're making you could toss them into any mm -hmm. pasta you could mm -hmm. top a pasta dish with them mm -hmm. so that's a wonderful way to add mushrooms yeah it, it's a great way and think about them too if you saute them particularly whole on top of all kinds of appetizers i know butter boards are really hip right now um cream cheese boards hummus boards but again if you sauteed some mm, smaller whole mushrooms in olive oil and then added them to a hummus board mm. it'd be really nice i can imagine a, a nice addition i can imagine 
imagine a hummus board with sauteed mushrooms in olive oil, olive oil because it's hummus, and with some sliced radishes and maybe some harissa mm. or some kind of hot sauce on it, and then lots of crunchy bread to pick it all up with and scrape it off the board. It'd be a really nice addition to a really chill evening and a nice party. It would be delicious. And also, slice some fresh mushrooms, put them in some butter. When they release all their liquid and it evaporates, add a splash of cream and some chopped chives, let that cream reduce, and then just spoon that onto toast. Mm-hmm. And that's like sort of like the vegetarian cream chip beef on toast, only made with mushrooms. Right. So, again, to sum up, Bruce and I are a little bit reticent about the superfood category. We're a little bit held back because it sounds a little bit like faddishness, and U.S. culture is driven so much by faddishness. That seems a little wrong. What we can say is that humans have been eating mushrooms for thousands of years, some dying along the way when they've tested mushrooms, they didn't know what they were. But by now, we kind of know what we can eat in the mycological world. So there are lots of ways to add mushrooms, which do have really high nutrition value into your standard food. And much of it, for example, adding them to soups and stews, buying dried mushrooms is fairly economical. They're a little expensive, fairly economical. But remember, you can get a fantastic flavor out of the soup or stew with just one or two tried porcini you mushrooms. You can. Oh, yum. They're so delicious. And remember, not every mushroom tastes the same. Nope. So for my sister, who may or may not still be listening, <laughs> they don't all taste the same. So if you don't like one, try another one. Up next on our podcast, our traditional one-minute cooking tip. What is it this time? Don't be afraid to make substitutions when you're cooking. Experimenting with ingredients is part of the fun of cooking. And to be honest, one dried fruit can easily be exchanged for another. A celery root or rutabaga can be used instead of carrots or potatoes. I'm going to stop you in this one-minute cooking tip already and make it longer by saying, Bruce is a chef more than a baker, although he bakes beautifully. Substituting in baking mm. is a much different matter than substituting in cooking. Yep. And she, you know, chefs cook, pastry cooks bake, and Bruce tends to be much more of a chef. So when he's saying, "Oh, you know, throw a rutabaga instead of carrot," he's not saying throw cornstarch in instead of flour. No, into a cake no, 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 no. If you notice the a couple of examples I gave, they're similar products, right? One dried fruit for another, one root vegetable for another. So no, you cannot substitute baking powder or cornstarch for wheat flour. They're completely different things. And let me say that if you're interested in making all kinds of substitution in cooking and even baking, there's a fantastic book by Dave Joachim, who has been on this podcast Mm -hmm. with the Food Substitution Bible, and it is a great reference. You should have a copy and keep it in your kitchen, and no, we are not being paid by Dave at all. (laughs) (laughs) He's a nice guy, though. But he is a nice guy, and the Food Substitution Bible is a brilliant addition to your kitchen counter. Before we get to the next segment of this podcast, let me say that if you don't know, Bruce and I have a newsletter. It comes out mm, about once a week, maybe sometimes once every other week. It has a recipe in it. It often has news about us. It has some conversational bits, one coming up now that's going to come out this next week. Well, when you're listening to this podcast, it's all about non-alcoholic cocktails and the kind of craze of non-alcoholic cocktails that's going on right now. You should check all that out. It has links to find us in various places, including cooking classes that are happening in the offing. So said that, go to our 
website, bruceadmark.com. There is a sign-up feature for the newsletter there. You can sign up, and I promise you, I will never <laughs> even see your email. But beyond that, that list will never be sold to anyone, and you can always unsubscribe at any time. Our next segment of the podcast is as traditional an interview. It's Bruce's interview with the author of Italy on a Plate. This morning, I have Susan Gravely with me. She is the co-founder with her sister and her mother of Vietri, America's largest importer of Italian ceramics. And Susan offers up a beautiful and delicious new book called Italy on a Plate. It's part cookbook, part memoir about her 40 years of traveling and entertaining in Italy. Welcome, Susan. Thank you so much, Bruce. Glad to be here. You start the book off with a line, I grew up in a home filled with guests. That's a wonderful image, just a happy childhood. And you write that even as a child, you were allowed to attend your parents' dinner parties. So it doesn't surprise me that you have a career centered on fine food and gorgeous tableware. Oh. Um, but it sort of came about accidentally, didn't that? On a trip to Italy with your mother? Tell me about that. It, it was totally by accident. My father, just to back up a little bit, was an international tobacconist. And what that was, was that my great-grandfather had started this company called China American Tobacco Company. And then it went to Catco, the initials. And we had people from all over the world in our house that were testing the burly, the sweet part of a tobacco. And so as long as we had good manners and we sat quietly, we could listen to everything they were talking about and serve drinks as a Southern family does and, uh, and bring a tray of the different tobaccos that they were looking at. So that was my beginning. My father, he had just sold his company, Cat Coats, had gone down to Valdosta, Georgia, to introduce the new owners to the Italian conglomerate, of all people, came back, felt bad, and had a heart attack and died. And this was the trip that he and Mama had been planning Mama had seen in, it was either Gourmet or Bon Appetit in 1979, an article about the San Pietro. She had wanted to go. They loved Italy. So after he died two years later, she called my sister and me and said, will you take the trip? Your father and I were planning. Well, yeah. So <laughs> off we went, much to my two brothers' chagrin. They were not invited, but that was the trip where we stayed at the San Pietro, walked into this glorious hotel that should be on every person's splurge bucket list and saw the animals and the flowers and the fruits all splattered around the border of the plates in different colors. And we said, We've either got to buy it for ourselves, others, or do something else. So that was the beginning. From walking in and seeing this beautiful tableware, you, yes. you were like, oh my goodness, and we're going to do this. And you have brought that to the U.S. You've, you've created a look of what beautiful Italian food should, should be like on what kind of dinnerware. So you and your mom 
called the company Vietri. And what does that mean? The village where the stinnerware came from was called Vietri Sulmari. And we looked at the word and said, okay, if you reverse the syllables, in Italian, tre vite, three lives. In French, trois vies, three lives. Here we were, three lives, and thought, once people can say it, which still is an issue, but once they say it, they'll never forget it. So that's how we came up with the name. And when you started this venture, you didn't speak Italian, yet clearly you're traveling, you're doing business in Italy. When and how did that change? I found out living in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that there were college classes in Sicily. Well, I didn't even know where Sicily was, really. So I signed up and went with all undergraduates. I was 31, and I had, Bruce, private classes every day because those students had no interest in going to class. So I was studying Italian and being the psychologist, the counselor to the teacher who was Italian and wringing his hands because nobody was coming to class and the university wouldn't let him come the next year. So that was my first month of Italian classes. And then from then on, I just started picking up words and practicing and practicing and trying. And it took about 10 years, but I speak a mean Southern accented Italian. Your book is filled with people who've inspired you, who you've met over your 40 years of doing business in Italy. You start the book off with your friendship with Tita Bozio. Uh, who is she? And why are her recipes so important to you? Tita was, well, a little backup on this. We flew over on Alitalia because my sister Frances is more dramatic than I am. And she wanted the experience of Italy. And on that flight in 1983, she walked up to business class to use the bathroom because that was much nicer started talking to an Italian gentleman who ended up coming down, being mesmerized by the Southern lovely mother and two daughters. And he gave us restaurants in, in Florence and then gave us his business card and said, if you are in Florence, please call, which we never would have called. Well, we did because in Florence, mama's pocketbook was stolen. And those were the years, you might be too young for this, but that you only had traveler's checks and cash, right? Yep. So we lost everything. We had put our passports in mama's pocketbook. And well, once we called Fabio and he helped us find our passport, get passports and all, we told him about these plates. And at 11 o'clock at night, he took us to Tita's house. Tita had some antique stores, but she also worked for Macy's Corporation. And she said, beautiful designs, fabulous factory, the most impossible people I've ever worked with. I wouldn't try it. <laughs> well, that's all we needed. You know, let's give it a try and see what happens. So she was the first inspiration. She um, has a beautiful home in the hills of Florence. And she was that first person that said, come and eat with me. Let's eat in the kitchen. And the kitchen was filled with art and books. And she had 
hand painted her floors and uh, for 40 years, I have always called Tita and met with her. She has the most fabulous attitude about living and living well and being around a table and being with friends. So I'm still in love with her. Mm. And you write about a young boy you watched grow up in Positano, <laughs> Giovanni Carassi. And Bravo. one of the recipes in your book is gnocchi with a lemon sauce. Tell me how your friendship with Giovanni influenced your life in Italy and about this luxurious gnocchi a limone. I met him because there were only a couple of ceramic factories in Positano. And whenever I was traveling or, or am traveling, I'm always going into every store looking in all the Italian magazines, seeing what the trends are, what's new, where factories. And I would go into that shop and his uncle Enzo ran it. And Giovanni was this little boy who loved people. And he was this little chunk of a little boy, loved people, loved to sell. And so every time I went, I would go, I would go in to see Enzo, but I'd ask where Giovanni was. Well, he's now a 33-year-old man. I call him the mayor of Positano because he was born there. He loves it. He loves everybody. He is a beautiful cook, as is his wife. And so this is a recipe that is so simple, yet so delicious. Because you probably know that the lemons on the Amalfi Coast are almost the size of small pineapples mm. and their skins are thick but the the meat inside is very um juicy and tender and so making things on the Amalfi coast in lim with lemon taste lemon zest a little lemon juice simple delicious you feel like you know you're in a boat sailing in the ocean, eating this gnocchi. So uh, I've eaten with them several times at their home, this gnocchi, and I've made it. And you've got to make it. It's very easy. Mm. You write in the book about your deep friendship with Francis and Ed Mays. And yes. most people are familiar with Francis's best-selling book, Under the Tuscan Sun. Yes. And what was it like? to find fellow North Carolinians as your Tuscan soulmates. I first met Frances when she was designing furniture in High Point with one of the great furniture companies of High Point. And they wanted some dinnerware. And so I was called in to create some dinnerware that we called Brahma Sole, which is the name of her house. Mm -hmm. And so we met with me looking at the furniture, the great, heavy Tuscan style furniture and talking to her about the colors and the color of her house and then creating that dinnerware. So you go to their home, Bruce, they are open, they are caring, they love to cook. You have got to make those orange and sage um, cookies that have a zest of um, of herbs in them. They, mm. They're the most divine things. Easy, easy. They love people. They love to entertain spontaneously. The last time I was there, we were going to walk into town. 
And this car drove up. It was at the bottom of the hill looking up at the house. And this young girl got out and she was just looking at the house. And then her partner or young husband got out and they were just staring. Most famous people, and Francis is a famous person in my eyes, yes. wouldn't dare do anything. She said, well, I think I'll just go down and see who they are. She goes down, opens the gate. This gal's whole goal in life was to see this house because she loved the movie and the book so much. And here she was meeting Francis. Mm. So that's just a indicative of her warmth and but her sophistication in understanding the world and caring about people that kind of warmth that kind of open to entertaining comes through in your book in the way you write about entertaining and the food and your friends there your stories and recipes take us from Positano to Florence to Venice the photos of the food are mouthwatering. Do you have any tips or secrets to entertaining with this kind of simply elegant cuisine? Let go of your fears because the most important thing in all of our lives are to be together. For me to meet you and for us to talk and understand each other's lives. So I think people worry too much about perfection. I mm. think imperfections are part of life and people really just want to be together. We tend to mix whatever on the table. There could be old platters that were my mother's or grandmother's with some VHRE product, depending upon if we want to use cotton or linen napkins or our paper napkins, we just do it. Mm -hmm. And then the food is about if it's impromptu, what's in the refrigerator and what quickly we can get to going to a farmer's market and planning what's fresh. Mm -hmm. But I would say my biggest tip is to not get burdened by a lot of dishes or formality, but make it casual and make it welcoming. Uh, Susan, if you had to choose one meal that you've mm -hmm. had in 40 years of traveling to Italy that was so good that you could have it again and again and again, what would that be? I'll tell you what is my favorite dish in the world. There's a restaurant in Florence called Camilo. It is a charming family owned. It's been there for centuries and people from Florence come in, everyone. And I think this isn't as Italian as you think, their shrimp curry is so delicious this curry with their rice and their fresh shrimp and they've kind of sauteed the shrimp in the classic tuscan way olive oil you know some parsley some a little bit of garlic it's divine so i know that's a surprise but <laughs> that would be number one there is a favorite second one lemon and parmesan and butter pasta mm -hmm. and it's again that cheese that mm -hmm. creamy cheese with that lemon and that little bit of butter and olive oil simple divine sounds absolutely amazing susan gravely congratulations on 40 years with vietri and bringing this beautiful 
Italian culture and style to us. And great good luck with the new book, Italy on a Plate. It is stunning. It makes everyone want to go to Italy. The food looks beautiful. Thanks for spending some time with me. Thank you. Thank you. Let me just say that Bruce and I started in this business in 99 with our first cookbook, and the cookbook industry has changed so much, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, a little bit. We started mm. when cookbooks <laughs> were still compendium of the compendia, compendia of recipes, lots and lots of recipes in every direction. And now it seems like so many more cookbooks have become lifestyle-ish yeah. and kind of, uh, I don't know, what an overall take uh, or lifestyle take on life itself. Yeah. Well, and, you know, she was a lifestyle expert and an entertaining expert. And, you know, with her company, Vietri, it's just all about how beautiful Italian food is and can be presented. So... Yeah, exactly. Before we get to the final segment of this podcast, which is always what's making us happy and for this week, let me say that it would be great if you could subscribe to this podcast, if you could rate it. You can drop down on the Audible menu, on the Apple menu, on the Google menu. You can drop a rating no matter in what country you're listening to us in. We realize that the bulk of our listeners come from the U.S., but we also know that we have lots of listeners in Australia, in Canada, and the U.K., if you can drop down on your particular country's site and write a review or leave a rating, that would be great. Okay, now, as always, what's making us happy in food this week? Instant Pot Chili. I mean, we have written four Instant Pot books, and I never get tired of making Instant Pot Chili. And, uh, well, let me say, he's, he's going to go on about his chili in a minute, but let me just <laughs> <Yeah>. say <laughs> that one of the recipes is, uh, riff, is a riff on one off of our books, which is Freezer to Instant Pot, the cookbook. Mm -hmm. And this cookbook is basically you do not thaw anything. You right. pull it out of the freezer and throw it into the Instant Pot and make it. And I want to tell you that ground beef chili in the Freezer to Instant Pot book is kind of amazing because the ground beef still stays a bit chunky mm -hmm. at the end of it. Yeah, because you take your sauce, you make a base sauce with uh, canned tomatoes, and you throw salsa in it and fresh onions and lots of spices, and then you heat that up in the Instant Pot on saute, right, so it's bubbling. Then you take two one-pound blocks of frozen ground beef, and you set them into that and cover the machine and put it on pressure cook. And by the time it's done, in 20 minutes, you open it, your sauce has been enriched by these chunks of beef, which almost acted like a roast in there. You mm -hmm. pull them out. Mm -hmm. They're not cooked through. They're still rare in the middle. But you chop them up as coarse as you like so you can have big chunks of meat, throw them back in, let it bubble for about two minutes, and it's done. Yeah, I mean, I had spoon size. We just had this, and I had spoon size chunks of ground yeah. beef and that was really nice because ground beef chili often gets so thready and mushy mm -hmm. and the beef almost like dissolves into the chili and it it was it's a much better way to make chili and again that recipe is in our book freezer to instant pot the cookbook it's it it was really delicious and bruce didn't add this but i'm gonna add it what's making me happy in food this week is a big box of meat from butcher box mm -hmm. butcher box sent us a giant box of frozen meat as they do they drop ship frozen meat to you we are not paid by them and not sponsored by them but it was so nice to get this big box of meat <laughs> and the reason we got it is because bruce is teaching an instant pot class with butcher 
box on the 28th of February. You want to talk about that? Yeah, it's a free class. If you want the link, send me a message at cookingwithbruceandmark.com or go to Cooking with Bruce and Mark on Facebook and send a message there and I will post the link. I'm going to be making three instant pot chilies with the butcher box meat. It's free. And it's, and it's free, which is always good. So that's our <laughs> podcast episode for this week. Thanks for being on this journey with us. Thanks for connecting with us. We would like to connect with you. Connect with us on our Facebook group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Connect with us through our newsletter. Go to bruceandmark.com and sign up there. And otherwise, we will see you next week. See? Uh, we'll talk at you next week on the podcast, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. <laughs>